0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Bullseye
1: with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
0: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Craig Robinson says that for pretty much the first time in his career, he feels like a success. It's success that's maybe coming a little later than Craig might have hoped or expected. He started out as a comic and a musician. His act is sort of a mix of stand-up and songs. He had a lot of great supporting parts and a lot of great movies and TV shows. Notably, The Office, where he played Daryl Philbin,
2: Mike, get off of the lift, please! Come on I'm now. I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, oh, oh! We'll get somebody to clean that up. We're the ones that got to clean that up.
0: Pineapple Express with Seth Rogen and Danny McBride.
2: I might act tough, but I got a lot of feelings, and you hurt damn near every one of them.
0: And a particularly great recurring role on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where he was Doug Judy. The Pontiac Bandit.
2: Since I'm going to jail, I want to enjoy my time left on the outside. Put me up in a five-star hotel like the Royce. Unlimited room service and minibar privileges. Three-star hotel like the Brookliner. $60 a day meal allowance, no minibar. Four-star hotel like the Oneida. $200 in food, no minibar or alcohol, but I get to go crazy
0: on candy and nuts. Agreed. Ow! These days he has his own show. It's called Killing It. The show recently wrapped up its second season on Peacock. It was co-created by Dan Gore and Luke DelTredici, two of the creators of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And man, it is a great show. Here is the premise of Killing It. Robinson plays Craig Foster, and when the show starts, he's a security guard at a bank. He rents out his apartment on Airbnb and sleeps in his car so he can squeak by. But he's got a plan to make it big, buy up some cheap swampland in Florida farm a special type of berry that only grows there, sell it to supplement companies, and profit. He joins forces with a relentlessly optimistic Uber driver named Jillian, played by the great Claudio Doherty, and as a team, they seem unbeatable. Of course, they are not unbeatable. The American dream always seems like it's just within Craig and Jillian's grasp when something or someone gets in the way. Killing It is a show about the compromises and indignities that go with striving in America and the compromises and indignities that go with, you know, just trying to get by in America. Medical insurance premiums, hold music, hustle culture, the gig economy, snake hunting contests. It's satire, but it's not medicine. It is really, really funny. Here's a bit from the most recent season. Craig and Jillian have finally gotten their saw palmetto berry farm up and running. They have a handful of employees who live on the farm with them. The berries are just about ready to harvest. Everything is coming up, Craig. Well, almost everything.
1: If you want your daughter to like the place, you might want to have the guy come and empty the porta potty Shayla,
2: it was just emptied last week.
1: It needs to be emptied every week, boss.
2: There are only five of us on this farm. It shouldn't fill up that fast.
1: Oh, I know it shouldn't, and yet...
2: Look, I don't want to get in another fight about this because my daughter's coming, and I don't want to be embarrassed in front of her, but I go above and beyond what's legally required of me in terms of sanitation.
1: I'm not as versed in laws law as you, but I do know this. It bakes in the sun, and if I'm in there for more than 20 minutes, I feel like I'm about to pass out. Why are
2: you ever in there more
1: than 20 minutes? whoa. Asking a woman? That's
2: technically harassment, Craig. And you're on tape. Shayla, it's too expensive to have the truck come every week. End of discussion.
0: Craig Robinson, welcome to Bullseye. I am so happy and excited to have you on the show. I'm such a fan. Thank you so
2: much. It's a pleasure to be here, man.
0: I I was just talking with my producer before we started about how Killing It is not just a funny show. It is also the very rare thing that is both effective as satire and actually funny. Usually, you kind of get one or the other. Hmm. And I wonder, when was the last time that you were trying to make ends meet?
2: The last time I was trying to make ends meet, Um, let's see. I guess it was, uh, I was new on The Office and it was uh you know just trying to get jobs
0: what were the jobs that you got
2: there were i mean i was hustling doing comedy shows you know going on the road when i could and so I was still trying to make a name for myself that way and then uh, the jobs would be uh this is while i'm i'm doing acting so i was always trying to you know i was trying to make it as an actor
0: how long did you live in L.A. before you got the office?
2: I was in L.A. Let me see. I moved to L.A. in 1999, February. So when did the office pop? 2003 or somewhere around there? So I guess yeah. about, what was that, four years?
0: Four. The first episode so, aired in
2: 2005. Okay, so yeah. So I guess the last time I was trying to make ends meet was a couple years into that, So maybe about two thousand seven, eight. Before something took hold and
0: so, said, "Okay, you can start saving some money." Did you think you were going to be a stand-up comic, or an actor, or a musician?
2: In college, I knew I was going to go into comedy. I went to college thinking I was going to be this like a musician, a um, you know R and B singer or what have you. And then uh, comedy just, like, took over.
0: How did it take over?
2: My capacity or, or ability to be silly knew no bounds. Like, it was all, <laughs> the, t- all the time. You play too much. Oh, my God. Uh, but I would be having people laughing and stuff. And, and then one day, I went to a homecoming show at, uh, at school, and uh, two— guys that I know went up and did comedy. And it blew my mind that somebody was like, what? how, how do you, what? And then I, I went and got this book, Stand-Up Comedy by Judy Carter. And I started taking comedy serious. It was like one of the first things I decided to take serious in life. Like, how do you do this? How? Do, so I'm trying to figure this out. And then I looked up this guy, Neil Lieberman, who was in San Francisco, and I called him he was like a comedy coach. So I called him up, and he was nice enough to tell me, hey, look, Craig, this, the thing about that book, half of it is, is right and half of it is wrong, and, and you won't know which half. But uh, <laughs> he gave me advice that I, I still hold on to this day over the phone. I should probably send him a check for that. But he said, um, if a joke kills, slow down. And if a joke bombs, slow down. So uh, I was like, oh, okay, that's great advice, you know, especially like now in the year that I'm in it now, it really comes in handy. Back then, it was like, okay, I I got it, but I really get it now.
0: You are the rare person who can say, I went to college for music and decided to become a comedian. And I can see your parents being like, no, no, do something practical, like become a musician, (laughs)
2: Oh my god my Wait. father my father called the uh pie in the sky, yeah, I want that pie in the sky and my father you know he was an attorney he a corporate attorney, my mother was a school teacher, so yeah they that was not the thing they wanted to hear,
0: but your mom was a music teacher,
2: she was a music teacher, yeah, yeah, and i was I matter of fact, I did teach music for a little while following her footsteps, but once uh Once that comedy bug came, I I was like, okay, I'm graduating. I'll teach, and then you know. But I was like going hard every night, trying to figure out how to do this comedy thing.
0: What kind of rooms did you play in Chicago?
2: Rooms, I mean, there were the you got the clubs, which was uh, back in the day. We had All Jokes Aside, which was a black comedy club, downtown's premier comedy club. Then we had Zanies. And they had about four of those at the time uh, around Chicago. So one downtown and one in the suburbs. And you had Riddles out there. Um, and then there were these rooms, you know, where you do your open mic or whatever. The Bunky Bar and the uh, No Exit Cafe. Like I would try to do something every night if I could. No Exit Cafe was this little cafe on the north side where they <laughs> there was like maybe seven people and four of them was playing this game called Go. I think it was marbles or something, some kind of
0: marble game. Sure, it's like a ancient Chinese game involving turning tiles over, changing colors.
2: Exactly. That. And then, uh...
0: Not known for drawing a humor-oriented crowd.
2: Exactly. They were not there for the comedy. They were there to play the game and have their coffee or whatever.
0: And, uh, you're doing comedy in there, click, 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 clicking with the go tiles? All day. <laughs> I read you played a room called Heckler's Heaven, a heckling positive club? <laughs> heckling
2: positive. it was. Yeah, it was at the Q Club, which is a pool hall in Chicago. And in the back, they had this cool little uh, room for, with a stage. It was, it was cool. And was a bar back there, too, uh, almost like a dive bar kind of effect, but... Uh, But it was cool. It was was like, wasn't small, wasn't big, but it was good for the crowd and stuff. And uh, what they would do is you get on stage, you have three minutes of nobody bothering you, okay? And you have eight minutes total to be on stage, but you got three minutes of nobody bothering you. Once those three minutes over, they ring a bell. Now, if the crowd wants to heckle or... What they did, they gave three people in the crowd a rubber chicken, actually. So if you got all three rubber chickens, you had to get off stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think three other people had a score sheet. So, you know, the first week, man, woof. I went up there, I was like, can you sign me up? I was like, all charged up. And the girl was like, it's hard. I was like, okay. Yeah, sign me up. And then, like the Chicago Greats, when they like Corey Holcomb, James Hanna, Godfrey, B. Cole, and I went over to the girl. said, "Can you take my name off the list, please?" <laughs> I, I took my name off the list, and she had this almost like she was vindicated. She was like, "Uh, yeah, like, like told you." But then I was so determined. I was, the next week, I went, I was like, no matter what, I'm going up. This, I'm going up. I'm going up. Let's put my name on the list. They called. I get up there. I do my, uh, you know, my first couple of jokes. <laughs> and uh, once they rang the bell, I wasn't doing too well. So I got, like, two chickens. In my mind, I was like, I'm not getting a third chicken. Good night. So I left with only two chickens. Then the (laughs) next week I came and I brought my keyboard and there was no chickens that night. And that's all she wrote. I never looked back.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Craig Robinson, a little bit more. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Prime Video. Find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2, Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Get everything included with Prime and add on hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password, Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from UCSF Health. The human brain is both remarkable and complex. The neurological specialists at UC San Francisco are constantly thinking of new and better ways to treat it. More at ucsfhealth.org slash greatminds.
0: Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Craig Robinson. He is an actor and comedian and musician, He's had recurring roles on The Office, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Mr. Robot, and elsewhere. These days, he is starring in the very funny show, Killing It. It's a satire about snake hunting, sketchy supplements, and many, many other ill-advised ways to get rich quick in America. You can stream both seasons of Killing It right now on Peacock. Let's get back into our conversation. Thinking of Chicago comedy makes me think of that time that Bernie Mac was on Deaf Comedy Jam and came out in the first words out of his mouth. I ain't scared were. of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: I ain't scared of you, mother. Yeah, man. <laughs> Talk about a legend. Talk about a great dude, man. We uh, Bernie used to have this show in Chicago uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. at Milt Trenier's. It was in the bottom of the... Uh, Holiday Inn hotels downtown. So people would come there at 5 p.m., 4, 8 p.m. show. It would be packed out. And so, um, you know, they're eating their Wings, whatever, chilling. And it was a jazz club, Milt Traineers. So uh, Bernie had, the band was backing him. Bernie come out, destroy the room. And I think Ali Leroy was writing for him and, and performing. So they'd do some sketches. But they, he'd also bring up a Chicago comedian and a Chicago musician, you know, who on the come up, whatever, or trying to make it. And one day, uh, and I and I went there, and it was like this amazing environment, and all of a sudden, uh, and I went and uh, and I would tape my sets on this little tape recorder, itty bitty. And so, uh, Ali DeRoy, we were in the bathroom. That's the only place you could hear. It. And I played it for him, and he was cracking up. He was like, "Okay, you on next week?" And so the next week, I went. And I had about six minutes of material, and I went down there and did my, you know, sit down at the piano quiet and do my thing. And Bernie was like, uh, Craig, whatever you need, I got you, you know, complimenting me and and letting me know I had something uh, special. It was cool.
0: He was real cool. Rest in peace. One of your first acting roles was on the Bernie Mac show, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kept his promise. And I got the part uh, to be on that show as a as a barber. That was a, that was an interesting time. I had I had no idea what I was doing. I was, I don't know how I made it this far because a lot of when I go back and look at a lot of these things I was in, I had I didn't know what was going on.
0: I can see you playing a barber as a man with impossibly perfectly coiffed hair <laughs> in every <laughs> photograph I've ever seen of you. <laughs> I
2: try to uh, not take pictures if, if my hair is all messed up or something. And people always, you know, I take a picture. I'm like, let me get myself together, you know. Oh, you look fine. No, I don't. I know what I'm looking good with.
0: You know, you can make a living doing stand-up in Chicago. I know I, I often hear stories from my friend Jimmy Pardo, Chicago born and bred comedian. Jimmy Pardo a legend. He would just do, when he lived in Chicago, was like, okay, I got chosen Indianapolis, Evanston, Illinois, you know, whatever, on down the line, these, these Midwestern places that are within driving distance of Chicago, if you're willing to make the drive. And that was just a career for a while. And you have to kind of choose to have a different career than that, I think. Did you always intend that your career was going to take you out of Chicago?
2: Yes. Matter of fact, I felt claustrophobic in Chicago at one point. I had one contest, and I don't know if it was before or after I played second in another contest, but I was hearing of people, other people getting opportunities, and I was like, I needed to take a risk or something. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive to Milwaukee and go bungee jumping. And so I didn't do that, but I felt the need to. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I'm saying?
0: And uh, I think at some point, Craig, we've all felt the need to drive to Milwaukee and go bungee <laughs> jumping. Uh, it's a universal story. I, I just needed to take a risk
2: of some kind and uh, get out of Chicago and uh, and really, like you know, see, spread my wings. You know what I mean? See if I could fly. Because I was feeling it, but I felt stagnated. You know.
0: What did you do when you didn't go bungee jumping in Milwaukee? Oh, man, I think I calmed down
2: and knew I had to work harder. I knew I had something to figure out. Because um, no matter what book you write, there's no one, two, three, boom, you're a comedian. You know, it's different for everybody. And I was like winning contests, and stuff like that, but it was still wasn't enough.
0: How much were you singing in your act?
2: Back then, it wasn't a lot. Today, I probably do two jokes right after a song, and then I do about six songs, and then I go back into the jokes. So uh, I'm singing a lot more, and I'm having so much fun. And it's, uh, you know, sing along and all of that. But um, back then, it was just a little bit.
0: You have a full-on, for real band. I mean I I watched you performing with your band and I thought to, the thought that I had to myself was oh this band is real. This isn't just like <laughs> <laughs> This isn't just like I'm famous would it be fun friends from back home or whatever for us to have a goofy band. Your band is comprised of very real professional musicians.
2: World class, man, international. Thank you for noticing that. Yeah, they—they're. I'm easily the the weakest link <laughs> talent-wise in that band. They, they make me better, and, and it's uh, too much fun being in front
0: of that band. Like, they all have Wikipedia pages, you know what I mean, right, as, right. as individuals.
2: They're unbelievable. And they're, between us, I think we know every song ever made, plus all the new ones. That might be a lot. But uh, we went on a college tour one time. We would uh, learn the college song. I would send them the college song, and they'd learn it. And then, like, the fact that we would learn their college song, oh, my God, it was blowing their minds.
0: Your mom was a music teacher. Your brother is a professional musician, a singer, and instrumentalist as well, works with you sometimes. Did you sing at home with them?
2: Every day, many hours a day, yes. What did you sing? Everything. We sang a lot of gospel music. You know, we would, had choir and stuff, but uh, we would harmonize all the time. In the car, dinner <laughs> table, we would, we would always be singing. We, our house was like a rehearsal studio piano upstairs and downstairs, organ downstairs, had drum set, trumpet, saxophone. Probably, um, I know I had saxophone lessons before, I had clarinet lessons before. I Uh, I don't think I had trumpet lessons, but I've tried to play the trumpet. So we we touched something. um, Pianos were pretty much stuck. My brother can play probably 10 instruments, though. So, yeah, we were always singing. uh, Our our house was music.
0: What was your dad's role in all this?
2: My dad plays a little bit, right? Like, he would play the guitar, and he would play a— the drum pad and he played till three in the morning, you know, so we trying to sleep all you here And then be like, Oh, he okay, finally stopped. And then you hear. So, uh, he was up late playing, but it, it also showed, Hey, your, your father's not out here, you know, running the streets. He's, you know, learning instruments and, you know, so it, I think it instilled something in us, uh, to you know, you got to. This, this is an art form. You have to practice, and you have to get your basics, your fundamentals. But like he and, and he and he sang in the choir with us too. So and he has a, he has a great voice. But like I said, he he's not the musician that's coming out playing for everybody. Like he's a home musician. I think he played one song at church one time, "Sweet Hour of Prayer," I believe it was. And uh, he, he was you know kind of nervous for that, but he did good. But it's like, yeah, he's not coming out and call everybody,
0: jam. Do you think that you would give up comedy for music if you weren't doing funny music?
2: Uh, I do. It's not just funny music. I mean, there's uh, we do some serious straight ahead too. But I think if yeah, just me playing in a you know a dark room somewhere. That that's that's the dream, and not even you know having to talk. Maybe a couple of interstitial, you know. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, yeah, i I' just sitting there getting lost in the music. That's that's the dream.
0: Do you get lost in the comedy when you're doing comedy?
2: Yeah, for sure. As a so, I've been preparing to do a special, right? But since I do so much music, it's that's why I don't have one out pretty much. And so now we're working with this company, and they're like, well here are the songs you can do, here's what you can't do. So you take all this, and I'm not just doing songs. Uh, most of the time, there's always, there's usually a joke or something involved. And then there's you know, a song that just I just like to do because I'm having fun or it invokes a memory or gets the crowd going, whatever. So um, everybody has kind of been like, that. here's what you can do, which is like this many songs, and here's what you cannot do. And it's like, but that's my bread and butter. So finally this year, I was like, let me start working on new bits and, you know, figure out how to get a special that I'm comfortable with, that I want to put out that, well, you know, somebody would be comfortable producing. It won't cost $12 million just because I'm using 10 songs. And then something funny happened. I started doing more music. <laughs> I just started getting inspired to do this and that. So now I'm having this blast fun, and I'm still writing and you know, figuring out these other jokes and tr- figuring out how to incorporate old stuff and new stuff and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it's uh, going up every night and like really, like I'm I'm going at it like I'm new. You know, sometimes in L.A., I might have four or five shows. I call that one of my New York nights. So the more I do it and the more I'm comfortable with what's coming up next, yeah, there is a zone. And sometimes like, you know, just kind of, taking it in and feeling the crowd and waiting. And I don't know, I guess there's a moment where I I can kind of see myself. And that's when I take a pause. I slow down and I just, you know, whatever comes out next comes
0: out next. So much more to get into with Craig Robinson. We haven't even talked that much about his great show, Killing It, yet. I'll ask him whether or not he thinks his character is a fool for chasing the American dream and whether or not Craig himself thinks that he's made it. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR.
1: Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR.
0: I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin. And together we are The Flophouse, a long-running podcast on the Maximum Fun Network where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. And because we're so long-running, maybe you haven't given us a chance. I get it, but you don't actually have to know anything about previous episodes to enjoy us, and I promise you that if you find our voices irritating, we grow endearing over time. Perhaps you listened to one of our old episodes and decided that we were dumb and immature. Well, we've been doing this a while now. We have become smarter, and more mature, and generally nicer to Dan. But we are only human, so no promises.
2: Find the Flophouse on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts.
0: This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Craig Robinson. You've seen him on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Office, and on the new Peacock show, Killing It. I want to talk a little bit more about Killing it because I really love the show. Thank you. Of course. How did it come to you? So, I
2: think it was just before the pandemic. Like Brooklyn Nine Nine was winding down, and uh, I think maybe six months, a year before, I had a meeting. My manager, Mark Schulman, shout out Dan Gore. We we set out. We, we and uh, Dan was like, "Yeah, we want to do some work with you." You know, da da da. And I love Dan and and Luke Del
0: Tridici, so, um, And Dan Gore had been one of the creators of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, on yes, which you yes. had a, a very funny recurring role.
2: Thank you. Yes, exactly right. So Dan and Luke were the head writers of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So we all met up at John and Vinny's in uh, in L.A. And we would go there and talk a little bit. And we, we came back, and then they were like, okay, so we're going to come with three ideas. And so the next time they came, they had three ideas. One was a music idea. They were all three good ideas and great writers. I forget what the other one was. But then this one was about these, you know, snake contests. And we all were like, that's so different. Nothing like that is going on. And I, to be honest, I didn't see it like how it is now. I didn't, I didn't see the full picture. But that's how it happened. We uh, And then the pandemic happened. They were developing, developing. And uh, we ended up, you know, getting it to uh, a peacock. And then once the pandemic was over, is that yeah, yeah, we got to do it. But yeah, like I said, I, I didn't, like, I trust the writers. I knew it was going to be, you know, their levels, which is, you know, what I'm happy with. But uh, once I saw it, like, once I, like, started seeing the, the series, even though I read the scripts and stuff, I didn't realize how edgy and dark it was. And I love it so much. It turns out this is what I have been yearning to do. You know what I'm saying? I always kind of wanted like something kind of curbish. you know. Doesn't have to be a, uh, a laugh track, but, you know, something kind of follows me. And I get to, you know, bounce off of people. And But then it's got this like hardcore, like, what? What just happened? At this? So... Uh,
0: there are explosions of violence on the program from time to time.
2: <laughs> so, re- yeah, so I'm really enjoying this, this stage, man. You know, to get two seasons out of this is a blessing.
0: One of the things that I really enjoy about the show is that, you know, in some ways, what it's about is these kind of economic indignities and humiliations that happen to your character and, and Claudio Doherty's character, who's your... Can
2: I steal that line from my next press? Please. Economic indignities
0: and humiliations. Got it. Yes. And, and what I love about it is Claudia is such a radiant, cheerful performer. hmm And you, as Craig, the lead character are so determined that the darkness on the show never, never takes it over. Like we really believe in you, even, you know, as you believe in yourselves, even though sometimes maybe you don't believe in yourself, (laughs) maybe resolve is, is what I'm describing more than belief, but. Yeah, there's there's something sort of relentlessly hopeful about the show for a show that's about such a bleak world.
2: Yeah, and Claudia, man, I can't say enough about working with her. She's just fantastic. When she auditioned, she was the last one to audition. And uh, if I've if I got it right, I think the guys wanted her and, uh, you know, they were looking for somebody, you know, a type, a Claudia Daugherty type. But the part wasn't written for an Australian person, you know. It was sitting uh, in. Uh, we, we got on there, and our chemistry through the computer, because it was over Zoom, it, it was awesome, you know. So um, she's so smart and so aware, like self-aware of her, who she is as a comedian, her timing, her pace. You're not going to rush her. And she's going to do it the way she's going to do it. And it, it worked because we we dance, you know. Uh, it's a beautiful bond there.
0: What's the biggest challenge for you of playing this character?
2: There's that balance of um, being a good guy and showing him as a good guy who's really trying to to make it the right way. And then, you know, he has a dark turn where he has to accept that uh, maybe good guys do finish last and he doesn't, you know, want to finish last all the time. So um, I think that in that turn somewhere, there's a, um, I think people see me as a, you know, sweet dude. So it's, there's the the all factor, oh, not you, Craig. And then, you know, and then I also have to sell that, that I could be that guy.
0: Sometimes I wonder if the idea of success is a hustle itself. Like it's a con. And the show makes me think about that. Do you think that it is ultimately a good idea for your character, Craig, to try and become a success? Or do you think he's, uh, he's just stepping on the same rake over and over?
2: I think he's after that American dream, which, when you say it like that, the American dream—that does sound like it could be a con at this point. But um, no, I have to believe that uh, he's not stepping on. The road. I got to, for me and for him, I got to believe he's—you know—he's—he's he's going about this for for something other than a con. He's—it's got to mean something. It's got to mean something. You know, he's deep inside. He, You know, he believes his father, man. You can do it. You just got to have faith. You got to be a good person. You got to work hard. And uh, he's got these, you know, good morals. So uh, it got to mean something. No, I don't think he thinks it's a con or it's being set up for one.
0: Do you feel like a success?
2: Yes. I feel like a success. I'm doing, you know, certain things. That I'm putting in work. And last night I went up at the uh, comedy cellar. And it was one of the first times I knew what I wanted to do right? at the cellar. Like, usually I'll go up and I'll go around, have some fun. But, uh, but uh, last night was like one of these times. It was like, because I've been doing my, like I said, working on my act and doing, you know, building. And I, I've, I haven't had a set list in forever. But it was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do what I've been doing. And it just felt good, and it, and it felt like, uh, like okay, this is, you know, working in L.A., I was working in New York, da-da-da. Um, things of success that's happening that I caused to happen. So I'm achieving success, and I see it in real time.
0: Well, Craig, I sure appreciate all this time you gave us. It was really nice to get to talk to you. Been an, admired your work for so long.
2: I appreciate you too, brother. Thank you.
0: Craig Robinson, both seasons of Killing It are on Peacock right now. You should watch them because they are really funny. It's a great show. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fund in and around greater Los Angeles, California. My thanks to former Bullseye producer Nick White, who this week came over to my house after I realized that my my van was full of hardware flooring, but the boxes were too heavy for me to move by myself. We got them out of there. Pretty soon, there'll be a floor. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks to them, thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is on Instagram, at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. See pictures of me and guests and what's going on and all kinds of stuff. We're also on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, and I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
1: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at ixllearning.com.
0: Hey there, everybody. It's Peter Sagal. On our show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's usually just jokes. But a man cannot live on dad jokes alone. Sometimes you need to express your trauma that haunts you and drives you, as I did on a bonus episode just for Wait, Wait Plus supporters. A deep dish pizza hurt me. That's right. For a chance to hear the raw, real, revealing truth, sign up for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Plus at plus.npr.org in order to feel my pain.